Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Everyone, everyone, everyone assumes that they are more or less kind. All of us, all of us kind of assume that we are kind. As we've been working our way through the fruit of the Spirit, as we sort of catalog our lives, we sort of look at the the idea of love and we go, well, yeah, I don't love everyone the way I should. I get that. And we think about joy and we say, well, yeah, yeah, I have hard times. I'm not always joyful. I'm not always peaceful. Stuff messes with me. I get, you know, kind of out of whack with that. And I'm certainly not patient. But when it comes to kindness, when it comes to the idea of am I kind? Well, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I'm a pretty kind person. And the reason that we all think that we're more or less kind is that we base our idea of what kindness is on ourself. The measuring stick of kindness is me. And you do the same thing. The the way we sort of think about it is that anybody who is less kind than me is unkind. Anybody who is more kind to me, right? So if they're less kind than me, they're unkind. If they are equal or maybe theoretically greater, I don't know, uh, they're, they're kind, We have this very subjective measuring stick that is based on me. And it's oftentimes based on how I treat my closest friends and the dearest members of my family. So by that measure, yeah, I'm pretty kind. I'm pretty kind most of the time to my friends and family. The problem with this definition This problem with this definition that we all engage in, this measuring stick of kindness that is based on our height, is this. It is wholly subjective. You get to write the rules as you go along. Yell at somebody? Well, it was their fault. It wasn't me being unkind. They're being an idiot. It's not unkindness on my part to correct them for that. Get mad at one of your kids? The problem is not me. The problem is in my children. If your coworker fails to do their job and you absolutely let them have it, that is not a characteristic of unkindness. That's just you being honest. That's just you being truthful. We have this very subjective view of kindness. But what I want us to think about this morning is what if that's wrong? What if this subjective measuring stick of kindness that we all sort of use ourselves as the basis of is not the proper way of looking at it. What if there is an external standard of kindness, a, a definition that takes into account more than just my perception of the world around me? Because true kindness is being more thoughtful about others than ourselves in any given situation. I'm going to say that again because that definition is going to kind of uh, permeate everything that comes after. True kindness is being more thoughtful about others than ourselves in any given situation. And that sort of external definition 
shows us what kindness is. What kindness is, it is genuine selflessness in action. Now, if we take that definition of kindness all of a sudden and we look at ourselves, we kind of all go, well, if that's the way we have to rule it, maybe I'm not always so kind. If it is genuinely thinking about others' needs more than my own in any given situation, maybe I don't always live up to that. Why? What prevents us from showing that kind of selfless kindness to others, that sort of selflessness in action? Well, for some of us, it's busyness. I'm so concerned about going about my life and getting done the things that I need to get done. I'm so concerned with making sure that I'm able to check this next thing off the list that kindness falls by the wayside. Other people become just something in my way. I'm on my grind and you're slowing me down. And unkindness appears. A wild, unkind thought appears. If I'm only concerned about my family and my friends and their happiness and their stability, if I'm only focused on that, I won't see anyone else. And because I don't see people, I can't be kind to them. If I am only pursuing the happiness of the people around me that I care about, that I know, I will not be kind to those who are outside of that bubble because I only care about that bubble. Or if my comfort and pride are driving, driving me, those who come in between that are the targets of my unkindness. They don't deserve my unkindness. I, look, this happened to me the other day. The other day I was at the store and I was just buying a couple of items and I went to use my, uh, you know, the NFC chip that most of our cards have these days where you can just tap your card on the register. And I don't know about you, but every place that I go, you tap it in a different place. You know, some of them at Publix, it's on the bottom left. You know, at the gas station that I go to a lot, it's on the bottom right. Some places it's up top. You know, some places have that little dish that you tap it on, whatever else it may be. And so I'm there, I'm at this store, I'm checking out, and I've never used my card at this store before, and I'm just kind of waving it indiscriminately in the general area of the machine. And so the lady says to me, oh no, you tap it right in the middle where the symbol is. She was kind of aggressive. And so did I respond in kindness? Did I say, oh, okay, thanks for your help. I didn't know that. No. No, I responded in unkindness. I looked her square in the eyes and said, oh, I'm sorry, I've never used one of these machines before. Which is ostensibly awful. Like it's, like, it's funny in the your pastor's kind of a jerk to randos kind of way that's sort of embarrassing. I was intentionally unkind. I made her feel guilty by lying. I was unkind. Why? Because my pride was offended. Because I couldn't suck it up and say, I did not know where to tap my card on your machine. And even though you didn't use the right tone with me, you were kind of trying to help me. I didn't say any of that. I went straight to jerk mode, to unkindness. Why? Because I was not looking at the people around me. I used it as an opportunity to spread shame and guilt onto that person. And I know better. I chose to be unkind on purpose, and it was sin. 
But if you ask me, if you ask me if I'm a kind person, I'll say, oh, 100%. In fact, it's probably one of my most defining characteristics. When people think of Justin, they think of a really kind person. What's with this disconnect? It is that subjective definition that I'm measuring myself by. And the reason that I do this, and if I can be so bold, because I think that this is the reason that a lot of us do this, the reason why we are so quick to unkindness is because of our hypocrisy. It is desirable in our culture to be kind, but most of us, by any objective standard, are not. So we have to fake it. So we have to fake our kindness to others. And so our hypocrisy causes us to forget the kindness of God towards us. And because we forget that, the consequence of forgetting how kind God has been to us is that we have no idea how to show kindness to others. I'm so enveloped. My mind is so wrapped around with making sure I look good, with making sure everybody perceives that I'm doing the right thing. I'm so hypocritical that I forget how kind God has been to me. And when I forget the kindness of God to me, it short circuits my ability to show kindness to others. I want to show you how this happens in the book of Romans. And so if you have Bibles with you, I'd love for you to turn to Romans chapter 2. If you don't, uh, that's great. Pull it up on your phone if you'd like, or it's going to be on the screen behind me. Um, But I'd love for you to stand up as I read Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 for us. The Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, You have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge and practice such things, and yet uh, judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or... Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Paul has a definite plan, a sort of line of argument that he is walking through in the book of Romans. And after sort of setting up his ideas and introducing himself in the first chapter of Romans, he goes through and sort of sets up all of the things for people who deny any moral standard. He says, if you deny any moral standard, you are certainly on the wrong side of God. And you can just imagine all of the religious leaders going, yes, Get those agnostics. Get those atheists. Get those people who worship Caesar and not the real God. All of those people who ignore any sort of moral sensibilities. Yes, yes, get them, Paul. Get them. But what we don't realize, what Paul is setting us up for, is those of us who are religious, those of us who have been around religion, who have some sort of moral virtue, 
are no better. What Paul is showing us is that religion and moral discipline more often than not cause us to look down on others. Religion and moral discipline can lead us very quickly to minimize the sin that we find in our hearts and maximize the sin that we see in others. If you've been a Christian for more than 10 minutes, you've probably seen this. If you've been a Christian for more than 15 minutes, you may have even seen it in your own heart. How quick we are to set ourselves up as the moral standard. We do it with kindness, but we do it in a thousand other ways. We are quick to point out the sins of others that don't look like our sins. The things that we're good at, everybody else should be good at. And the things that we fail at, well, those aren't a big deal to God. Those aren't so bad. But Paul is ready for this. He is ready to spring a trap on us. When we pass judgment on others, when we scoff at the moral decisions of other people, when we roll our eyes at their choices, what we're doing is placing ourselves on the bench as the judge. And we're saying, I'm the one who gets to dole out morality. I'm the one who gets to sit here and say, your sins are bad. My sins are not that bad. We're the ones who begin to take that over. And this is honestly exactly what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is when we minimize our sins and maximize the sin of others. When we try to mask and hide who we really are by pointing at somebody else. And we, do, we, we start doing this as children. And this is the, the oldest play in the book of the enemy. Because if I can, if, if, the, if the devil can get me to dismiss others, to say that those people are sinners and I'm okay, then I don't have to worry about them. Then I don't have to be kind to them. If he can just find a way for me not to have to think about my own sin and only focus on others, then kindness kind of falls right out the window. After all, if I place myself in the place of a moral judge, I get to say who does and who does not deserve it. Who does and does not deserve grace. Because we judge others and yet we are no more innocent than them. In some cases, in the case that Paul is specifically pointing out here, is the, the people who are, who are judging people, who are openly condemning people for doing the exact same thing that they're doing. And look, church, we need to reckon with the way that this is a picture of us. We need to reckon with the fact that Christianity, by and large, has been rampantly hypocritical. How many pastors have railed against this sin or that only to be caught in the midst of it? I think of this week, just this week, a very famous Christian who railed against certain political families, accusing them of abusing children, was found to have a computer full of videos of the abuse of children. And yes, there are people out there who do that. And we go, oh yeah, well, that's just the famous ones. That, that's, just, that's, that's just because they were famous. The only reason we know about that is because they're famous. But 
we have the same impulses in ourselves. We're not saying that all sin is, is simply the same. We're not sin leveling. But at the same time, if we are careful and cautious and thoughtful about our hearts, what we will find is that same impulse towards hypocrisy is found in you and I. How quick are you to point out the sins in others that are the very sins that you commit? Why do we do this? Why does this happen? It's because hypocrisy promises us something. Hypocrisy promises us that we will feel better than ourselves, which is easier than actually being better. Hypocrisy promises, I can make you feel better about yourself, which is short and it's a shortcut and it's an easier way than actually doing the hard work that Paul's going to show us of being different. See, I don't have to change if I can just be hypocritical. I don't have to change anything about my life. I can continue doing all the same, same things that I'm doing. I just have to, you know, make sure everybody knows who the bad people are. And as long as that finger doesn't ever point at me, I'm okay. I feel better about myself. I'm morally better than all y'all. And so what happens and how this relates to our kindness is I become kind to everyone who promotes my image of kindness. I become kind to everyone who, know, who I need to make sure knows that I am kind. But in interactions nobody sees, in the times where it's anonymous and nobody knows, or even in the selectiveness of my interactions, I am patently unkind. I will narrow the group of people that I spend time with so that I don't have to actually exercise any kindness. I just spend time with people I like and then everything is fine. I will be great. If I, go to a, if I go to a restaurant or a brewery where I am known, I will tip well. How do I tip when it's anonymous? When it's not known? How do you? Does the anonymity change your interaction? Look, it, the, the charge that is laid at the feet of Christians all the time is that we are hypocrites. And if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, I want to say that's true. That's true of me. It's true of the first generation of the church, the church in Rome that Paul was writing to, and it endures as a problem for us today, for all of us who put our faith in Christ. You want to call us hypocrites, and I'm here to tell you, you're right. You would be right about me. I'm right about every other Christian if you said that to us. I practice the very things that I condemn in others, just like Paul says, just like Paul says in this passage. So do we think God is okay with this? We shouldn't. In fact, it's interesting. Paul uses terms just as strong for the moral hypocrites that he is critiquing in Romans 2 as he did uh, the moral agnostics in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, he says that God judges them by allowing them to seek deeper into sin and incurring more wrath. He has another set of words here for those of us who are religion. Some are the same, wrath, but also judgment and God's righteousness. 
You see, we cannot escape the eyes and judgment of God. Hypocrisy always pretends that perception is reality. That's the way that hypocrisy tricks us. If I can just manage everyone else's perception of me, that will be reality. That was really rhymey. There's a lot of internal rhymes there, and I'm not mad about it. But that's what, that's what hypocrisy trains me to do, is only worry about what other people think of me and assume that that's the way it is. But Paul says, no, God sees through our charades. He knows who we really are. He knows all of the things that we keep hidden from everyone else while we are judging others. He knows what we're really like. And for us who are religious people, when we're confronted with this, when we have to stare in the mirror and ask ourselves questions about hypocrisy, we know the right words to say, don't we, Christians? Ah, yes. Yes, I'm guilty of that. And ah, good thing Jesus is going to forgive me. You know, God will be patient with me. He knows how frail that I am. This is where Paul says we run into danger if we're a Christian. Paul says there is a real, clear, and present danger in presuming on God's grace, in presuming on God's kindness, in just expecting it. We know it can't be earned. We've heard enough sermons about that. So what we do is we just kind of sin and carry on. We think that being a Christian and having the forgiveness of God means we can just sort of shrug at our sin and then move on. And the reason why we begin to think that is because we assume that that's the way that God looks at our sin. But that is a wild oversimplification of what the Bible says. That takes and creates a caricature like you would get at Bush Gardens that, yeah, it kind of looks like you, you know, but your nose isn't quite that big, right? You're not as bald as that guy made you because you didn't tip him well. We create a character of God's grace and then follow it. God is patient. He is forbearing. He is kind to us. But this isn't because he is just dismissive of our sin. It's not because he's just dismissive of the things that we've done. You see, a huge part of our hypocrisy is rooted in our familiarity with the gospel, with the Christian message. Our familiarity is what leads us to our hypocrisy. When we are not struck with awe and wonder, when we just treat grace as a sin all you want card, we make poor decisions time and time again. We run from his will. We treat others with unkindness or worse. And then when we're called on it, we just sort of shrug. Well, God is good and gracious and forgiving. Church, if your Christianity, if your perception of Jesus and the gospel allows you to simply shrug, to simply push off your sin, you're doing it wrong. We are presuming on the riches of God's grace. And we're doing this because we have hard hearts, hearts that won't listen to correction, souls that are burnt over by our decisions, scorched by our cycle of sin and dismissal. And this is the core of where our unkindness comes from. 
The core of where our unkindness comes from is when we dismiss our sin instead of repenting of our sin. Our righteousness that we create, the good things that we do are not valuable. They're garbage. What we need is a heart that is repentant, a heart that is soft. You see, um, I was thinking about this uh, plant. Um, I haven't seen one since I moved to St. Petersburg, but, but growing up in the swamps of North Tampa, um, we used to have these plants that we called the devil's finger. Um, and they were, they were red fungus that sort of looked like an arch and it looked like two intertwined arch. And there was one sort of seed that was this large black seed. And so it looked like a red finger with a black painted nail. And I, I had to look them up because I was like, I'm sh- surely these aren't called uh, the devil's fingers. Uh, and of course they're not. The true and proper name for them was the elegant stinkhorn, which I don't know is somehow better and worse than devil's fingers, right? The elegant stinkhorn, but they, they grow up. And the thing about elegant stinkhorns is you'll smell them before you see them. Whenever they would pop up in our yard, you would be walking around and all of a sudden you would smell something that was absolutely wretched. It was absolutely awful and distinct in its grossness. And then you would look around and sure enough, there would be an elegant stinkhorn. The thing about elegant stinkhorns is they require dead and decaying plant matter in order to live. They cannot grow in good soil. They have to grow out of soil that is filled with decaying plant matter, which is why they happened in the swamp, which is why they happened in flower beds that were unkept. They require dead and soil to live. So from the dead soil grows this decay-filled, awful little plant that fills everything around it with a stench that is palpable. Church, when we presume on the grace of God, when we take it for granted and allow the knowledge that we have about how forgiving God is, and we take that for granted, it leads us to hypocrisy and unkindness. It is the dead soil that leads to the devil's finger, to the elegant stinkhorns. So what's the way out? How do we get through this cycle? How do we get past this? We need to genuinely, truly see the kindness of God. Paul is is going through and his point in these first few chapters of Romans is that all of us stand in need of a savior. Whether we are moral agnostics, whether we are religious hypocrites, or whether we are generally good people, all of us stand in need of a savior. Whether our sins are loud and known by all or quiet and hidden whether we find ourselves in either of those places, the richness of the kindness of God is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took the wrath that was stored up by our hypocrisy, by our lawless disobedience, by our presumptive hypocrisy. He took all of that wrath on himself on the cross. His kindness led directly to our forgiveness, but at the cost of his pain and anguish. You see, we oftentimes want to skip over 
what the cross really was for Jesus. We want to hold the cross up as an emblem without thinking of the meaning of the cross. We want to allow it to be a symbol, but not a sign to something else. We want to just let it be, yeah, 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 Jesus died on the cross for me. I can say that. And if I don't think about it, I'm not forced to reckon with that. But it is only through really reckoning with what the cross meant that the kindness and forgiveness of God cost him pain and anguish, suffering that he didn't deserve. It's only when I began to treat that with any degree of seriousness that I began to grow. That's when I began to realize how vast and unmeasurable the love of God is. How dear a price he paid that I might be given a new record in court. You see, my place in the courtroom is not on the bench as the judge. It is in the defendant's seat. And I am guilty. And I am in need of someone else to take my sentence for me. And when I realize that Jesus not only took my sentence of guilt away, but has given me his full record of goodness, It's only when I realize and contemplate that that I begin to stand in awe. When all of the sudden I stop looking around at the sin of others, I'm not focused on where I do or don't measure up in the Christian life. Instead, my attention is drawn upward at what Jesus has done for me. It leads me to worship. It leads me to wonder in awe at who God is This is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. How much he has done for us in spite of how much we did not deserve it. And that repentance then is the real change because repentance is not doing what big poppy would do when he would score a home run where we kiss our fingers and make a gesture upward towards God. Repentance is not throwing a my bad in the general direction of heaven. Repentance is truly confessing our sins and turning away from them. For the ones that everybody knows about and can see, and even the ones that nobody else knows about, the quiet things that no one ever knows. And that's where we begin to truly repent. Not just say sorry to God, but tell us about the real evil that is in our hearts. And when, that, when we start to do that and reflect on the real kindness, the real kindness of God that he has shown towards us in that we don't deserve it, but he took the pain and anguish, all of the sudden, people that I meet are not people that are in my way. They're people that God has placed there that I can show love and kindness to. Every cashier, every fellow driver on the road, every coworker and every family member, every other student in your school and every other neighbor in your neighborhood, each and everyone stops being our moral competition who we have to show ourselves a little bit better than. They stop being roadblocks on the path to our hustle and they become people with whom we can show kindness because we know that a deep, abiding kindness, a costly kindness has been shown to us. The richness and patience of God transforms us so that we no longer have to maintain the false face of hypocrisy. 
We could stop acting. We can stop pretending to be something we're not. We could stop minimizing our sin and maximizing the sin of others. Instead, in the humble heart created by repentance, we can smile. We can be kind. Our pride is not so easily offended by the cashier. Our spirits are not so easily wounded by traffic. And this sort of genuine kindness that God begins to bring about in our hearts is not just the change for us, but it's the tool that he uses in all of our relationships, great and small. It's the tool that God uses to turn hearts to him. Church, city church, do you want to see things change in your relationships, in this city, in your workplace? Do you want to see a difference? You want to see relationships renewed? Do you want to see reconciliation happen between people who are in conflict with one another? It starts with kindness. Genuine kindness grown out of a heart of repentance. Church, we need God to grow that kind of fruit in your life and mine. So let's ask him to do that now. Let's pray.